Everybody wants their software development process to be fast, good, and cheap. But according to conventional wisdom, that's impossible. No project can enjoy all three attributes at once, right? Well, maybe not. In a few moments, Mirko Herring, Managing Director of Accenture's Agile and DevOps practice in the Asia-Pacific region, is going to explain to us why that's not necessarily the case. When it comes to software, Mirko believes, a serious focus on speed, done right, can automatically drag quality and cost benefits along with it. In addition to useful takeaways from his new book, DevOps for the Modern Enterprise, and his insights into dealing with legacy technology and legacy thinking, Merkel will lay out how enterprises can use speed to track everything that's important in a DevOps environment. Yes, you're listening to episode 26 of the New Relic Modern Software Podcast with your host, Frederick Paul, editor-in-chief at New Relic, that's me, and New Relic developer evangelist, Tori Wheel. Before we meet Mirko, I just want to let you know that you can find edited transcripts of the New Relic Modern Software Podcast on the New Relic blog, blog.newrelic.com. And that's also where to look for associated links, images, and other stuff connected to each episode. For listeners who may not be familiar with New Relic, the cloud-based New Relic platform lets you know exactly what's happening in your software and systems in real time. Learn more at newrelic.com. And now, Tori and I welcome Mirko all the way from Melbourne, Australia. So, Mirk, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came to the world of Agile and DevOps? I came to the world of DevOps before DevOps really existed as, as a term. I started my career as a, as a developer writing compilers for embedded microprocessors in cars. Then I joined Accenture and did basically DevOps in a much less sophisticated way. And then a few years ago, DevOps became popular. All of a sudden, the obscure thing that I was doing on my project became something that was sexy and people wanted to talk about. I learned in some of my DevOps projects that it's really hard to predict all the problems you will have by adopting DevOps or by automating everything. A typical waterfall approach of saying we're going to take... You know, six months to automate everything, mm -hmm. not really successful. I had a, uh, an agile guy sitting with me on a project saying, look, you should really take a more realistic view of project delivery. And I just came from this training called Agile. Um, should we try that? And I've never looked back since. Can you talk a little more about how you would describe DevOps and more about that relationship to Agile? In Australia here, we call the, the practice modern engineering rather than Agile DevOps. Uh, we, we call it modern software here at New Relic. At the end of the day, it, it's about delivering successful products fast and with high quality, right? And all organizations are A, interested in that and B, struggling with it. I really see it more from the perspective that we are trying to help organizations improve their IT capabilities. And if some of these buzzwords help us to actually have the conversations, then all the better. When I started this this practice here locally, no one really wanted to talk to you about it. You were talking to some obscure person in, a, in the architecture team or something. And then uh, nowadays you have CIOs and CEOs talking about Agile and DevOps. So we have to be thankful for that. So what would you say the state of DevOps is today? And uh, do you think we're going to see mass adoption of it? I think we have mass adoption because everyone's talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> If you look at the amount of tools that are being sold with DevOps in the title or in the description, then everyone is doing it. I specialize in working in enterprises that are complex and have a lot of legacy. You have the SAPs, the Siebel's, the, um, the mainframe, all those kind of different applications in there. And th the truth is that there's not a lot of 
continuous delivery in, in that world and perhaps never will be. What I see now is that we don't have to worry too much about the education anymore of the why it's necessary. Right. But we still have to do a lot of demystification around uh, it's just a matter of implementing a tool or it's just a matter of changing culture, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And you really have to comprehensively think about what you need to do to change your organization. So what's your definition of DevOps? So my, my definition of DevOps is really everything that is required to deliver a product or a service uh, to a customer. That's why the biz DevOps or DevSecOps or any of those right. additional acronyms um, are good, again, to just highlight a specific point. But in my view, they were always included and it's just a we're now highlighting it a little bit more. I love the piece about legacy technology and legacy thinking. So I'm assuming that's one of the biggest barriers you see in the enterprise. How do you counteract that legacy thinking? A lot of this is actually just education. Uh, let's take an, an ops example. The usual KPIs that people have used in the past for, for tickets is how quickly can we resolve them? And if we resolve them, is it correct the first time, right? That's how tickets should be measured. We are now going into a world where we automate everything. You think about the bucket of tickets that someone gets. Automation really takes away the simple bits and the fast bits. Now, what is then left over that you actually get a ticket? Well, they're more complex and harder to solve. That means as you're increasing automation and monitoring and finding the, the easy problems, you will probably have longer time to solve the tickets that actually come through. And you will probably get it wrong more, more often than you did in the past. So we've created an environment where the KPIs are actually de-incentivizing people from solving the automation part. As soon as you explain that, people are like, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> See? Wait, right? my turn. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so what are the right KPIs for an automated DevOps environment? One of the things that I talk about is the transition cost. And right. that's the cost from in the last line of code has been written for a new feature until you actually go live and have validated it in production. So any regression testing that you need to do at the end, any deployment activities, any validation activities, if you can measure that either as, as time or ideally even as effort, um, then that's a pretty good metric for you to see how far you have to go. But that's very, very high level. I think there's a lot of lower level things that you can do around specific services, like what is the duration of your regression suite? What is the, how long does it take you to deploy the end-to-end -end solution? Those are smaller metrics that you can use because they're very process-driven and they're not too hard to find the endpoints for. A lot of people seem to take deployment frequency or time to deploy as a key DevOps KPI. Does, does that make sense to you? It does, if you take it as a like-for-like. Okay. wouldn't compare Amazon with my basic enterprise, right? Because what Amazon deploys 10,000 times a day, they're not deploying 10,000 times a day SAP implementation, right? right? They are doing <laughs> small point. components on, on a website. But if I make the same SAP deployment quicker or more frequent, then that's an improvement. Is that something that companies should focus on? Or is there one KPI that people should focus on? Or is it more complicated than that? Well, of course it is more complicated, but... Uh, you're a typical user. A you want the magic that, bullet, right? Fred. Do, you're not going to get the magic bullet. Rats. Sorry. I think there's a, it is useful, though. You know that that's one of your challenges. It is a useful metric, and I think speed is, is ultimately a good metric. 
They, okay. We used to have in the past a lot of focus on, on cost um, or quality. But if you look at cost, um, there are a lot of things that you can do to reduce cost that doesn't necessarily increase speed or, or increase quality. Right. Same is true for quality. Speed, if, you, if you're serious about it, has to include both an aspect of, of quality and, and cost because if, if it's not good, if you have problems and defects in there, you have to redo it. So as long as you count it only until it's actually done and, and correct, it covers quality in its speed. Got it. And to really be fast, you will cut out everything that is not necessary, and that means you will reduce cost. So it's a, it's a good forcing function. That's one of the things you talked about in your book, DevOps for the Modern Enterprise, the whole idea of trying to cut costs and not really looking at the quality and the outcomes. Can you tell us a little more about the book and the, the, your key themes there? There's lots of DevOps books in the market. And one of the things that I really had to ask myself was, what, what do I have to add to the curriculum? There's two aspects that I try to highlight in the book that are a little bit different. One is obviously that, that whole legacy environment that we, we already talked about. But the other thing is, I work for Accenture, so that means I'm working as a provider into many organizations. And not a lot of people have spent time on figuring out, what does that mean? Like if we talk about a DevOps culture, there's one thing to do that in your own team with your 10 people that all have the same company badge, but all big organizations have many providers. So how can you create a, an ecosystem where DevOps can flourish? There's a, a couple of chapters in the book that really talk about that. And I share perspectives from both sides because different parts of my career played a role as a client and as a provider. Can you tell me some of the things you see that people misunderstand about DevOps? I, I mean, I know every vendor says they can sell you a box of DevOps, and we all kind of laugh about that. But what are the other misperceptions you see about it? Yeah, DevOps in a box. If, you, if, <laughs> if only it would be that easy, right? right. It's a cultural thing, which is mm -hmm. true, but you can't uh, attack culture or change culture directly. The only way to change culture is by changing behaviors and, and systems and everything around it. And I think we, we are trying to still look for the, the easy answer. So is that one of the big barriers to DevOps, that everybody's looking for DevOps in a box or the silver bullet or the easy answer? Yeah, and I, and I think it's natural, right? If you want to improve something, then they say, yeah, of course, we'll do that. Just give me the business case and tell me what the outcome is. And with DevOps, there's, it's not linear, right? There's a lot of different problems you need to address, and it's not necessarily predictable. The early automation stuff is easy and that means you can see lots of results in the beginning and then you get to the point where it gets harder because you have 80 percent automated but the last 20 percent are really hard right and now staying the course there requires leadership beyond numbers and that's not easy one common misconception is that devops is mainly for small startups and not for enterprises and we know that's not true, well, but... And, and you do, obviously, since your book is titled that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole book about it. Right? Yeah. So how do legacy organizations start attacking this? How is it different for them? I know a couple of friends of mine who've gone on and uh, created startups or, or started working in startups. And for them, it's just natural, right? There's no need to have a big discussion about it. It's just, that's just how engineering is meant to be done. Great. In, in big organizations, it's a lot harder. There's a lot more political turf that you need to cover. There's a lot more different incentives that exist in the organization. And so you do have to have a conscious program around it. You can make some improvement by people just doing the right things, but I think you need to have a, a consciousness around this transformation. And I'm 
working with a couple of organizations at, at the moment where there's a lot of good engineering capability, but not necessarily the management mindset behind it. So I think you need to really think about in a big organization, where do we invest the engineering capability for uplift? Um, like where's, where's our bottleneck in that sense? Right. And how do we make sure that we are not just tinkering? How is it something that goes beyond the individual contractor that is doing this piece of work or beyond the uh, specific part of the organization and actually have a, a lasting legacy within the client organization? People are struggling with that, in my view. We certainly see a lot of that where large organizations have pockets of DevOps success. Right. But to take it from kind of the base camp to the apex of the mountain is tough. And it's different for every organization, right? I mean, I find it fascinating. Uh, that's why I love my job, because I see all the kind of anti-patterns out there, and it's not, it's not always the same. Sometimes you have really good technical engineering organizations, and they've gone to what in blog post language would be fantastic, right? They have every team owns their own DevOps. And then someone deletes the Jenkins server by mistake, and there's no backup for it because no one actually had an enterprise-grade setup for their Jenkins right. stuff. And like, ah. We were so close, man. <laughs> but that's that's the fun, right? It's like it's you have to have the right balance between the the kind of the the, the super evangelistic view and the realistic enterprise view and the, the multi vendor play and yeah. <laughs> what about on the flip side of that though? The value of DevOps for enterprises. How does that differ from the value in smaller companies? It, that, that's an interesting question, right? Because it's, it depends on how you define value. For small organizations, it's necessary to survive, right? If you are competing with another digital product that is coming out in the same niche, you need to be super fast to survive. So it's crucial. However, in, in big enterprises, we are talking huge numbers. It's not uncommon for a deployment weekend at an enterprise to take 200 people for the whole weekend and a month of preparation. That's millions of dollars that you can reduce. One is more the, the economic impact and the other one is the survival of the organization. Survival, yeah, survival can be important too, I get that. Um, <laughs> you talk about the idea of culture and that you have to change the behaviors to change the culture. Do you have tips about how to do that? I always tell people that they need to look at what is around them to understand how to change behaviors. I love the, the Netflix example, not sure how true that still is, but. Uh, where someone new to the organization needs to deploy into production on, on the first day. And if there is a, is a problem, it shows you the problem of the system, not the person. Right. That mindset, I think, is, is correct. When we find behaviors that are inconsistent with the culture we want to have, then let's look at the, the reason why that person is making that decision and figure out whether there's something systematic that has forced them into that. But that's a very difficult conversation. Well, it's hard, to be fair. Kind of change is really difficult to make real. Absolutely. And if you're somebody in an organization who's spent your career building your way up to a 200-person organization that's doing it in a particular way, you have a lot of buy-in in keeping things just the way they are. So, Marco, how do you address that? How do you take someone who's invested in the status quo and get them to change? There's a couple of different ways. I often staff my team with the most skeptical person in the organization. Okay. I used to do it with, with some COBOL mainframe stuff. And I literally took the guy into my team and said, you know, we really don't need that, Mirko. We've been coding COBOL for 25 years and we're, we're okay. And then bringing him into the team and having him work on the, the automated solutions, 
provided a lot of contextual knowledge that I didn't have, but also right. it was clear that if I convinced him, the rest of the developer community would be convinced as well. Don't try and avoid the resistance. Try Go and co-opt it. it immediately. Yeah, if yeah. you can. Sometimes the opposite is true as well. Sometimes if you can't change the people, you need to change the people. But right. that's it. Last resort. So a little bit about tools. Are there tools out there that can help make DevOps successful? Yeah, of course. I wouldn't now go back and say use Control M to do deployment automation. <laughs> right. <That's> okay. it. <laughs> it just it worked, but it wasn't necessarily pleasant. There's a lot of benefit in using tools, partly because it structures your automation and it allows you to, to reuse some of it. It makes it a lot easier to finally get metrics, right? I've seen so many organizations that says they have reports for their deployments. And if you look at the deployment data, it's hilarious because they deployments always start at like 6.30, which or something like that. Right. And that's great because it could be triggered. But they also stop at like 10 or 10.30 or 10.45. And you're like, hmm, that's suspicious, <laughs> right? So it's basically someone who manually fills in that Excel sheet and then that's the, the metrics that they use. And you're like, mm, yeah, that's mm, not really what we are after. Right. Um, so it, it, being able to have a good tool chain that gives you good data points and allows you to also identify weaknesses is great. What people need to be careful with is that there is stuff that is not automated and you still need to cover. So. If you're 80% automated, then it's not an excuse to have the 80% automation in Jenkins and the 20% that are not automated tracked via emails. Interesting. Talk a little bit more about shared data across teams. Do you see that as a crucial for success for DevOps? About three years ago, so I went a bit on a crusade and introduced a, a DevOps dashboard that we that we use internally Ooh, we and like introduced those. it to clients. And um, that was very good because you for all of a sudden could actually correlate data. Right? So you could see your how your your check-in frequency and your unit test coverage and your deployment frequency and the success um, rate of deployments, how that relates to a go-live date and the post-go-live uh, impact on production, which wasn't possible beforehand. If you went to the DevOps Enterprise Summit in London uh, last month, pretty much every presentation talks about the analytics part. Deciding yeah. what's important is really key, not measure for measuring sake, but really get agreement around the table in terms of what's a good reflection of how you're doing. What you said is so powerful because I think the first instance of this kind of DevOps analytics was to just take stuff out of, out of Jenkins and Selenium and, and the likes and show it. Right. But that doesn't necessarily has meaning. If you get the Jenkins data of a specific job, but there's like 12 other things that need to happen, then really we after that kind of end-to-end -end data and trying to identify where the weaknesses are. Exactly. And that's how you get teams working together. How do you convince enterprise leaders that they need to do this? To be honest, there's not a lot of convincing them to do DevOps, right? There's... There's two conversations that I, I, in my job, see these days. One is to actually show them that they are not there yet. So there's quite a few people who believe because they have a Jenkins server, they, they have done. DevOps, <laughs> which, you know, it sometimes takes a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation. Okay. <laughs> and the other one is, is it feasible here? Right? And I think that's where a lot of this legacy thinking comes in. And sometimes the industry has done a not so great job around this. So when you talk to a big bank that has an SAP implementation in it. Um, and you talk about DevOps, they say like, well, we don't want to deploy 2,000 times a day. And like, 
Yeah, but that's that's not the point. The point is not the two thousand. The point is, can you do it better? What you're doing right now, and right. It, it's really helping them identify the the pain points. From there on, the conversation becomes easier. No, that makes a lot of sense. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our podcast audience? Here's my my parting thought for success. And I was sitting down with a whole bunch of kind of DevOps gurus talking about what do you look for in organizations when you engage with them for the first time to see whether they will be successful. There were lots of things tossed around, around technologies and culture and all kinds of things. But it turned out at the end that we all agreed on one thing, and that is if you can find an organization that understands how to judge progress and has the leadership rigor to actually stay rigorously on that path, they will be successful. So if you're asking me how to be successful with DevOps is understand what your problem is, understand how you can measure progress, and then stick with it even when it gets hard. What a great way to cap today's DevOps discussion. Remember, when things do get difficult, New Relic can help DevOps teams know the impact of every change in their software and systems, find and fix errors faster, get everyone on the same page, and ultimately innovate more confidently. Want to find out more? Go to, you guessed it, newrelic.com. So, big thanks to Tori, hashtag best co-host ever, Mirko, and our audio engineer, Venny Garcia, for today's podcast. We're interested in your feedback, so please feel free to tell us what you think on Twitter, hashtag Modern Software Podcast. To avoid missing an episode, subscribe to the New Relic Modern Software Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. I'm Frederick Paul. Thanks for listening. And remember to rely on New Relic when you need to know right now. <laughs>